0: This is an ABC podcast. So, Norman, I noticed this thing happened at the start of the pandemic where all the men I knew suddenly started sprouting beards. But I'm looking at you today down my camera and I can see you're clean shaven. So, I, the only thing I can take from this is that the pandemic is definitely over now.
1: Well, you'd have to think that. Um, I just had this urge to shave off the beard. And do you know what happened? Nobody noticed. You're the only one. You're the only one that's actually noticed. Everybody else just sort of went on as usual.
0: To be fair, you did have to point it out to me. But you look, you look lovely as always, hairy or clean shaven. We love Doctor Swan. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to read into it that we're we're free, uh, home and hose with, when it comes to this stupid pandemic.
1: My um, smooth as a baby's bum face is pr- <laughs> definitely pre-COVID. <laughs>
0: Well, that's great. And actually following on from that or just confirming what we already knew for sure based on the smoothness of your face is that the peak seems to have passed at least on the eastern seaboard of Australia when it comes to this what has been quite a scarily large Omicron wave.
1: Yeah, it it does look that way. It's very hard. It's been very hard to tell because the testing is just such a mess. But it does look as though the peak is passing. Unfortunately, because of the lag, the number of people dying hasn't, and it's really quite an appalling number. It's nearly 1,400 people as we speak.
0: Since what time?
1: Since the beginning of Omicron, really, around about the 1st of December. These numbers just flow over your head 29, 30 a day. I mean, these are people that love who have loved ones. They're not necessarily all 80 or 90 years old.
0: And even if they are, that's still a terrible loss for those people. Exactly. And their loved ones.
1: And if you translate it into a much more dramatic number, because we get much more upset about plane crashes than we do of these chronic deaths. This is the equivalent of eight seven three sevens crashing in Australia since uh, the beginning of December. That's a lot of people dying. And many of them were preventable if they'd had been able to get a booster shot.
0: So why does a pandemic peak and then tail off like this? And does it just tail off to nothing? Or what do we expect after this, this curve that spikes and then comes down?
1: Well, Chris Murray, Professor Chris Murray in Seattle has has looked at this and just written in the Lancet about it. And he's from the Institute of Health Metrics and Evaluation and they've been doing their modeling and pretty good modeling actually internationally. And he argues that the pandemic is almost over. It doesn't mean to say that COVID disappears, but that the sense of, of, of emergency might be passing. Uh, at least for a while anyway. So they reckon by January 17th of this year, there were 125 million infections per day. Globally. That's right. And that's 10 times the peak of Delta in April 21. They reckon that by the end of March, 50% of the world's population will have been infected with Omicron. There's a lot of um, looseness in this because they reckon that at the moment, you're only detecting 5% of cases and a very high percentage are are asymptomatic so it's not just that the uh, testing regime is stretched it's that a lot of people are actually asymptomatic probably more than in previous uh, surges of previous variants yes the proportion hospital and the proportion dying are going down but in fact they predict that there'll be double the hospitalizations of previous surges because of omicron because uh, whilst the proportion is lower, the numbers are so vast that the numbers of people in hospital and dying do go up and they go up, they go up quite considerably. And the other thing he actually talks about is the introduction now of, say, masks and boosting vaccination. And he implies that now is really too late, that you're not going to get a big effect of actually introducing high-quality masks now. You maybe slow it down by 10% because really the horse is bolted. Similarly, with vaccination, it's not a a bad thing to increase vaccination, but that by the time you've actually ramped up globally, remember, he's talking about a global picture rather than Australia, by the time you've ramped that up, Omicron will have passed.
0: But what happens after that?
1: So what happens after that is a quiet period because there's so much immunity in the world's population, but then there will be other variants, and he acknowledges, as do others, that the new variants could be more virulent, more dangerous. But they're emerging into a world where there will be vaccines available, maybe even adapted vaccines to cope with new variants or a broader range of variants. There'll be antivirals. And he also argues that you're going to need masks and social distancing moving forward. But that with that in place, if you like, there's not a global emergency. We know how to deal with it.
0: So, Norman, only a couple of weeks ago you were marching around the pool with your brown trousers and bicycle clips on, and now it sounds like we can finally exhale. Like, what's shifted?
1: What's changed is that the peak has passed, but there will still be deaths. The real and imminent danger of Omicron is passing, but it's not going to go away. So on my Omicronometer... I am worried about people who haven't had their boosters, who are elderly and vulnerable and so on because they are at risk and so I am at the extreme end of worry for them. I'm worried about a surge as kids go back to school because from the Delta experience, particularly in the UK, quite good studies showing that school-age kids were a source of infection for the community and you will see a surge as schools go back. Whether that'll make a difference to hospitalisation and deaths is unlikely because this is a group that's partially immunised and gets it mildly anyway. But there will be a, a surge from schools. So it's not over yet, but it's not brown us with bicycle clips.
0: Right. So up close in certain pockets of Australia, there's still definitely cause for concern. But what you're saying that this article from Chris Murray says is that when we're taking a really broad global view, we're getting pretty close to a lull after um, after Omicron. Is that yeah, me understanding it correctly.
1: Yeah, there will be a lull uh, until the next variant comes along.
0: This lull sounds awesome, but how long will it last? Because we were talking about Eddie Holmes, the evolutionary biologist from here from here in Australia, talking about the fact that there are the next variant is inevitable, and it might not be milder; it might be worse.
1: That's right. And he talked about endemic really being not a very useful word. Uh, the, the the virus is probably already endemic, given that it's almost ubiquitous around the world. And you can't predict when the the next variant will come. Um, You can predict that when it comes, it will be more contagious than Omicron, more vaccine evasive. But you cannot predict whether it's more virulent, less virulent, or the same virulence as Omicron, because it will not be a variation of Omicron. It will be a new variant that comes out of probably low-income countries. So that's, that's what he says. And nothing that Chris Murray says contradicts that. It's just that we are better prepared for another variant, assuming it's not too immune evasive, because we've got all these other tools up our sleeves. And
0: we continue to invest in vaccine development because, as you said, Norman, there are adaptive vaccines on the horizon that could help protect against future variants, but we don't have them in our hands yet. We need to keep investing in that science.
1: That's right. And as I think we said before in CoronaCast, one of the tantalising things that's come out in the last few weeks from some research... Memory. It was Chinese research which suggests that people who were infected with SARS one and the, the the one in two thousand and three, and who have either been vaccinated and who have been vaccinated for SARS two, seem to have a much broader based immunity to new variants than people who've only been immunised against SARS two. So within that might be the secret for new vaccines: is that you actually generate a vaccine to SARS one.
0: Yeah, but this science doesn't happen by itself. So, Norman, can we talk about WA? Because you hinted at that before. And when you're talking about that lull and what we can do to sort of invest in uh, protecting ourselves against the future variant during that time, which hasn't happened yet for us, it made me think about WA. They've decided to keep their borders shut for longer. They haven't given a date yet as to when they're going to open that. It was meant to be on the 5th of February. That's been pushed back. And I wondered what they were going to gain from this additional... Uh, amount of time being shut down during the Omicron outbreak, what they might be able to do to protect against Omicron that the rest of the country didn't get to do because we opened our borders at about the same time that that variant was emerging?
1: Well, what they say in part is that they want to get the level of boosters up because there's no question that boosters do protect better against Omicron, both infection and severe disease. So what they say, or one of the things they say, is they want to wait until boosters are at a high enough level. I think they've really got themselves into a policy bind here. I've called it really a policy spiral, is that it's very hard to see how and when they will open up, because whenever they open up, they are going to let Omicron in. Omicron is, while there'll be a lull in the eastern states and not very many cases, there'll still be cases and there'll still be Omicron around. And so the moment... West Australia opens up its borders, they are going to let Omicron in and it will spread. Things that we're gonna guess West Australia was a very slow vaccination rate. That's getting better. I mean, it's not very far off before they're 90% covered 12 plus, but two doses of the vaccine as we've shown don't provide great protection against infection against Omicron, you really need the third one. But what's going for them, because they were slow, you've actually got quite a large population in Western Australia who are freshly vaccinated. And when you're freshly vaccinated, you've actually got reasonable resistance against Omicron infection for a while. So it's just very confused. And the uptake of boosters in the eastern states is not great and and has been slow. And if, Western Australia follows its previous pattern, it will be slow in Western Australia. So what at what point are they going to be happy enough to open? It's a very difficult place they've got themselves.
0: Where do you see this going?
1: Here are various ways it could go in WA. And it's all messy and it's it lacks precision. And whenever they open their the bottom line is whenever they open their borders, Omicron will get in. Because even if there's a lull in the eastern states and overseas, it will still get in and they will have their Omicron surge. So here's the way it could go. Now, it's taken forever in the eastern states to actually get a reasonable level of boosters, and it's still not there. So who knows when that's going to happen? They could actually do an analysis of the coverage of late vaccinations in Western Australia, because if you're recently vaccinated, even with two doses, you've actually, for a few weeks, got quite good resistance against Omicron infection. It deteriorates after a few weeks, but in the initial period, it's not that bad. So they might decide to get to an equipoise where they've still got a large number of Western Australians who've got reasonable coverage with two doses, three doses are going up, they could start to open then. And then, you know, and here's what could happen is that this outbreak or the next outbreak that they're dealing with, uh, they fail to control. And if they fail to control it, then there might be less reason to keep their border shut. I mean, I hope that doesn't happen. But that, that's another option, which is that you've got Omicron spreading anyway, no matter what you do.
0: I mean, there are cases in WA. Is there an argument for keeping that border closed so they can get on top of that outbreak before they eventually open open the border and let more coronavirus in? Well,
1: yeah, that's the counter argument there. And in fact, that's what Queensland did, um, if you remember. I sure, do. <laughs> can't remember when now, but it was sometime in 2021 when they were supposed to be opening the borders and they kept them shut or they reshut them uh, because they didn't want to be polluted by cases coming in from New South Wales in particular. So yes, Queensland used border closure so that they could mop up their own outbreak and not have to deal with new entrants.
0: It's such a tricky one. Uh, Not that anyone's offering, but you couldn't make me uh, chief medical officer for all of the money in the land.
1: Nope. good luck to them.
0: So, Norman, we get lots of questions, as I'm always telling you, at abc.net.au slash coronacast and to the ABC more generally. And a lot of the questions seem to revolve around this idea of long COVID. And I think for younger people, um, the the fear with COVID isn't so much about the acute illness itself, but it's this very high prevalence that a lot of people seem to get prolonged symptoms that are really, really unpleasant and really affect your quality of life. And so whenever there's a piece of research that pops up around long COVID, I get excited. And I've actually pulled together, well, we both have pulled together a little collection of pieces of research about long COVID today. We're going to get some uh, get some clarity out there for people.
1: Well, I'll start off if you like. Oh, yes, please. Good news from Israel. Um, the Israeli data show pretty clearly now. It's, it's not peer-reviewed yet, but it shows pretty clearly that if you've been vaccinated, you really do have a very low chance of getting long COVID, much lower than unvaccinated people.
0: Is that because they're less likely to catch COVID at all or have symptomatic COVID? Or is that alongside that they're also less likely to have long COVID?
1: No, this is a study of people who've been immunised and get COVID. So they get a natural infection of COVID on top of vaccination. And when when they look at those people, following them forward, vaccinated versus unvaccinated with a natural infection of COVID-19, the people who've been vaccinated tend not to get long COVID.
0: That's really interesting. And that feels like the most useful data, because I feel like we've had data before that's sort of like, well, if you're vaccinated, you're less likely to get long COVID because you're less likely to get it. But this is going that step further.
1: Yeah, you've already had it. And when you've had it, you don't seem to get long COVID. Or you're very unlikely to get it. So that's good news, and you've been looking at the favourite topic. This is this is the all-time favourite topic of coronacast since we began the bowels.
0: Oh, that's your favourite topic.
1: <laughs> so the bowels and uh, long COVID.
0: Yeah, there were some really interesting studies that caught my eye and I want to ask you about it because you're the doctor and I'm just the question asker. So there was a case study that I saw that was published about a long, a long COVID case in an 11-year-old girl. And then it turned out that she had the virus persisting in her small intestine. And there was a question mark around whether maybe that virus in her small intestine might have been driving the long COVID symptoms. So that was just one little girl. But then there was another study that came out um, just this week saying that people were, who had a more diverse and abundant microbiome, so that those gut bugs, were less likely to have long COVID. And I wondered whether you could sort of say, <laughs> speculate, as to how your gut health before you catch COVID might or might not affect your ability to have long symptoms. Well,
1: just need to paint a picture for you of the bowel. You tend to think of the bowel, or your intestine, as inside your body. But in fact, the surface of your bowel is an external surface. If you turned your bowel inside out, or you pulled it out, it would actually be an external surface. It only goes internal when you absorb something through the wall of your bowel and it gets into your bloodstream. That's when it goes inside your body. So it has a very sophisticated immune system to actually protect you against the outside world in the same way as your respiratory tract. Right,
0: because stuff from outside passes, passes through it. That's what you mean? Yeah.
1: That's right. So essentially it's open to the external environment. Now, the microbiome in the bowel is, well, actually in the respiratory tract as well, but it's really important because it modulates, it kind of controls this vast immune system that's, that actually pervades your bowel, because it's the first line of defense. The same way as you've got a first line of defense in your respiratory tract, you've, got a, uh, you've also got a first line of defense in your bowel. And also the immune cells that circulate through your body pass by your bowel and pick up information and messages and take it to other parts of the body. So your, your bowel is, is not quite a control center, but has this huge influence on the rest of your body. And the microbiome actually affects it. So the more diverse your microbiome, the more likely you are to have a balance in terms of controlling the response of your immune system to foreign things that might come in. And the less diverse your bowel microbiome is, the more limited your immune response can be or, or less controlled it might be. So Yes, the microbiome can have an enormous influence here. And if you've got persistent virus in your small intestine, it becomes part of your microbiome or it goes inside the cells, or the way your bowel has reacted to COVID inside the bowel may actually uh, change how the whole immune system and the rest of your body works. So it's perfectly feasible that something that happens in the bowel affects the rest of the body with COVID-19.
0: Right. So is this the solution to all long COVID or do you think this could just be one driver?
1: Nobody knows. It's impossible to really tell with this. And it's likely that long COVID is not one problem, it's a variety of problems. And there's really interesting new data that's coming out that one of the risk factors, and it's, this this is really controversial, but one of the risk factors for long COVID are autoantibodies being produced by the body. So in other words, these are antibodies that, are, that attack your own body. So this is what you get in rheumatoid arthritis multiple sclerosis and so on. But these are particular autoantibodies that some people think affect the brain and maybe cause your brain fog. This is really controversial stuff, but it it, 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 is, it is entirely possible that your immune system misreads the virus. And part of that misreading is the creation of these autoantibodies, which are, if you like, a mistake. Something's going on in the immune system, but nobody's really tied it down.
0: So like I said, that is one question that we get a lot of, but there are other questions coming through, Norman. And one of the common ones, and I think this is because there are so many people in Australia who have now encountered and become infected with the virus, is whether, when you should get vaccinated if you've had COVID, or when you should get boosted if you've had COVID already.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is an evidence-free zone, and most people who uh, are involved in immunisation say you should not get immunised if you're sick. Not that you're going to make yourself more sick by having the immunisation, but it's that the immunisation may not take the way it should and give you the immune response that you want. So uh, the the advice varies a bit, but essentially it's once you're symptom-free and well, that's when you can have your immunisation and it's particularly important with omicron because the what's what's clearly emerging from the science of omicron is that if you are unvaccinated and you have an infection with omicron all that is good for is protecting you against another omicron infection it does not seem to have a wide applicability, at least to previous variants, when they've studied this in mice and looked at the antibodies, the antibodies generated by Omicron are not good at protecting you against Delta or the Wuhan virus. But on the other hand, the vaccines do give you a broader immunity to other variants, as well as covering Omicron, at least as far as severe disease is concerned. So vaccines are better. So you don't want to hang around after you've had Omicron too long before you get your booster or vaccine because it's giving you a very different level of immunity and it's going to be important when the next variant comes along.
0: And one thing you've said about the Omicron variant in the past that people are asking about is we've said, you've said, and other experts that the Omicron variant seems to be more likely to infect your upper respiratory tract, your nose and throat, as opposed to your lungs, which previous variants seemed to like better. People are asking if you gargle mouthwash, will that help you stop? getting or spreading omicron
1: well it might at that moment if you've got omicron in your nose or throat but i'm not sure it would help you an hour later
0: (laughs) fair enough you can't just be (laughs) how long can you gargle for it's
1: kind of limiting really
0: Uh, i'm I'm now sort of treating this as a bit of a quick fire friday norman because it is friday after all um people are asking is it crazy to consider holidays at the moment
1: no well i'm going to tell you i'm on holiday right now
0: Ah, there we go Are you crazy? But what
1: people are probably talking about, is it crazy to book a holiday to Europe? Because we've now become a pariah, or look like becoming a pariah, with countries closing their door to Australia. But I reckon that that's going to just be a passing thing. So as as Omicron passes, we go past our peak, and we go into that lull period. I think those restrictions, to the extent that they are put up, will be relaxed by the time you want to have your holiday but if you want to go skiing next week in Aspen or France um, maybe that will have an influence oh and by the way if you could afford to do that can you just send a check to Coronacast
0: (laughs) Uh, a question from people who are older saying is it safe for over 70s to go out and about for appointments shopping etc or should we stay at home during this time
1: no if you're boosted get out and about go back to normal life you're going to be well covered against severe disease go back to normal just wear masks when you're out. And if you wear an N95, it's going to prote- protect you better than a surgical mask, uh, and you're going to pr- help protect other people. So an N- that's, the N95 mask is the one mask that cuts both ways. So N95 is when you're out, but get out.
0: And one more question for the man who has at one time, at least in his life, been a paediatrician. Info on calming nerves for kids when it comes to vaccinations.
1: Yes, um, look, most kids are, are great with vaccinations. You can play games with them, you can distract them. And, and of course, the expertise of the vaccinator is really important. So it's just a quick, easy process, and you don't mess around. And most kids are fine.
0: Yeah, the vaccination place where my kids got vaccinated had a wonderful little sheet letting them circle the things that they might like that would help them during their vaccine. Like, I'd like to watch something on mum or dad's phone, or I'd like to look or not look. And my other thing with vaccinations is calm parent, calm kid. Correct. If you can be calm, it helps your kid to be calm.
1: Yep. You just got to keep the parents calm. And, And the other thing is, of course, that if you've got kids with developmental issues, then... I think a few of the states have created clinics for kids who might be on the autism spectrum or one of the other developmental issues that kids may have. And they're particularly designed for looking after those kids because it can take much longer to get such a child on side to give them the vaccine.
0: Well, that's all the questions I'm going to ask you for now, Norman. And folks, that is the end of this episode of CoronaCast for this week. Now, we promised you, last year if you can remember that back that far that we would come back more frequently from February and we're going to do that. We're going to come back, but we're easing into it. So next week we'll be back on Wednesday and then three days a week from the following week onwards.
1: And be assured there will still be a Coronacast Friday and we will still have Quick Choir Friday when we can.
0: That's right. We're hoping that if we come back, then the coronavirus will go away because that seems to be it seems to be an inverse relationship. Something going on there. We'll see you next week. See you then. Thank <laughs> you.